Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 98, iPhone Evolution. Hi, I'm Neil. Today's episode will be focused on the iPhone's most remarkable quality. This item plays a big role in everything related to the iPhone business. We can look at pricing trends, margins, cost, screen size preference, upgrade patterns. We can even look at how the iPhone relates to other Apple products. They all come back to this one remarkable quality. At the same time, we have building anticipation for these upcoming new iPhones. There are questions as to how these new iPhones will change the iPhone business. We can look at current iPhone demand, where the iPhone 7 Plus is doing really well, while the iPhone 7, the iPhone SE, and the older iPhone models, well, demand doesn't seem to be as great. What is going on here? I actually think all of these items, they're all interrelated. The iPhone's most remarkable quality is the degree to which its role in our life has changed. When we go back and look at how the iPhone was launched in 2007, it was basically a computer that fit in our pocket. But look at the iPhone today. It is now the most valuable communications tool in our life. This is going to evolve into the iPhone becoming a new kind of personal navigator, relying on augmented reality. The iPhone's role in our life doesn't remain static. It evolves. I think this item has been the most difficult thing for some people to grasp, especially those who have been critical of the iPhone business, those who have been calling the iPhone business as a near-term phenomenon, something that will eventually lose to low-cost competitors. We now have increase in questions about the iPhone in China. It's all related. It comes back to how the iPhone evolves to a degree that we haven't seen before in consumer electronics. We don't see laptops, desktops, large screen TVs evolve in terms of the role they play in our life. It is something that sets the iPhone and in general the smartphone apart from every other device. The best place to begin this episode is to look at the iPhone 7 Plus. When we go back to Apple's second quarter 2017 earnings earlier this month, it was very interesting how Apple framed the quarter. Here's Tim Cook in the press release. We are proud to report a strong March quarter with revenue growth accelerating from the December quarter and continued robust demand for iPhone 7 Plus. Whenever Apple reports earnings, my eye instantly goes to management's commentary. And there's a reason for that. Every public company comes up with a narrative for their quarterly earnings. You don't just release your results, have a conference call, and let Wall Street basically determine the quarter for you. Instead, you try to beat Wall Street at its expectation game. You come out with a narrative that tries to add some explanation for all of these results. So it's interesting how Apple's narrative for its second quarter, oh, 
it revolved around the iPhone 7 Plus doing extremely well in the marketplace. And that commentary extended to Apple's conference call, where we saw iPhone 7 Plus apparently did really well in China. My theory about 5.5-inch iPhone screens is that Apple management assumed this particular form factor would gain popularity over time. And so you would have the iPhone 6 Plus that will sell well, but then the iPhone 6S Plus would do a little bit better in terms of the percentage of total iPhone sales. The iPhone 7 Plus will build off of that momentum. But what's happened is the iPhone 7 Plus demand has exceeded Apple's internal expectations. The company got it wrong when it came to figuring out the sales mix between iPhone 7 Plus, iPhone 7, and iPhone SE. This is one reason why it was so difficult to get your hands on an iPhone 7 Plus last September and October. And this strong demand it wasn't just a U.S. issue. It wasn't just in Europe. It was essentially around the world. While Apple management may give very helpful commentary about a particular iPhone model, they don't give sales information. They don't tell us, well, the iPhone 7 Plus was up X percent year over year. We have to rely on some other sources for that information. Now, what I did was I looked at app usage trends. It looks like the iPhone 7 Plus saw demand up about 20% year over year compared to the iPhone 6S Plus. That's pretty good when you consider overall iPhone sales are just about flat. So that tells us the other iPhone models, they're really not doing as well as the iPhone 7 Plus when it comes to year over year growth. Over at AboveAvalon.com, I included what I thought were the most realistic estimates for the percentage of total iPhone sales for each Plus model. We have the iPhone 6 Plus, 31% of total iPhone sales over the first six months following launch. That would also tell us the iPhone 6 was very popular. But then if we move ahead, the iPhone 6S Plus, I think that model represented 34% of total iPhone sales. So we saw a pretty small but noticeable jump. However, when you look at the iPhone 7 Plus, I think that particular model has represented 40% of total iPhone sales over the first six months on the market. That's a big deal. That's a significant jump from the iPhone 6S Plus. So this raises an obvious question. Why has the iPhone 7 Plus seen such strong demand? It looks very similar to the iPhone 6S Plus and iPhone 6 Plus. We have consumers having the option to buy an iPhone with a 5.5-inch screen for three years. Why now? Why is the iPhone 7 Plus exceeding management's expectations? I think it comes back to the topic of the iPhone's role in our life. I think it continues to change. When you look at the iPhone 7 Plus, I think those features have become more appealing than features found with smaller iPhones. Bigger screens are gaining popularity. Why? Well, we're using photos and videos to communicate. Now, these large screen smartphones, they have been popular for years in Asia, but not in Western markets. 
Momentum is only now building in countries like the U.S. when it comes to larger smartphone screens. I also think the dual camera system found in the iPhone 7 Plus has been a contributing factor. We can look at how Apple has revolved iPhone marketing around this one feature. It's why I think the iPhone 7 Plus camera in portrait mode is the most marketable iPhone feature in years. Another reason why the iPhone 7 Plus has done so well is it has better battery life than the iPhone 7. That comes in handy when we're using the iPhone more and more throughout the day. That additional few hours matter. I've been using an iPhone Plus for a few years now. While there's always room for battery life improvement, with the iPhone 7 Plus, I usually get two days of battery life. And I use it pretty regularly throughout the day. So you could see how that is another feature where it puts the iPhone 7 Plus that much further ahead of a device like the iPhone 7 or iPhone SE. Now, turning more specifically to the idea of iPhone evolution, up to now, I think that phrase has come to mean Apple gradually improving features and components found with the iPhone each year. A few years ago, this was a very big debate. The idea of a new iPhone being either a revolutionary update or an evolutionary update. In some respect, the whole debate's so silly. Primarily, it was from people arguing that these year-to-year iPhone changes don't matter anymore. But really, what people were doing was looking at hardware and software changes. Those were the elements that were termed evolutionary. But I don't think that's right. I don't think that does a great job at describing what is actually happening with the iPhone. It's not that certain components evolve over time. That's not the main takeaway. Instead, the iPhone's role in our life is the item that's actually evolving. Now, what this means is the iPhone is not a static product. It doesn't give the same experience every year, like a desktop or a laptop. Its definition actually changes over time. Now, of course, hardware and software advancements play a very big role in having that definition change. But by changing the iPhone's definition, that's just really reflecting what's happening in our life. And that is the iPhone represents something different to us. Now, we can go back to 2007. Next month actually marks the 10th anniversary of Apple launching the iPhone. That iPhone introduction is now referred to as the greatest product unveiling of all time. And if you do have the time to watch that video, I would recommend it. I'll include a link in the show notes. That iPhone introduction provided a very easy way to see how to define the iPhone out of the gate. We have Steve Jobs positioning the iPhone as three products wrapped into one, a widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communicator. If you go back and watch the video, and you go specifically to that point where Steve Jobs is talking about the three products, notice which gets the most reaction and applause. 
I think most people would assume it's the breakthrough internet communicator, but it wasn't. It was when Steve Jobs said a revolutionary mobile phone. That was the thing that got the audience to go crazy. Well, that tells us that initial iPhone was viewed as really a different kind of phone. That was the iPhone's role in our life in 2007. Now, if we go ahead a year, 2008, we had the App Store being introduced, July 2008. I actually think that's really what set the iPhone on its current sales trajectory. What the App Store did was it showed the iPhone isn't just a phone. It's a computer. It's a computer that fit in our pocket. The App Store showed how the potential found with iOS it was sort of undersold in 2007. Now, Apple likes to say that they thought pretty highly about the iPhone out of the gate, but they didn't have any idea that it would become such a force across the world, impacting almost every industry in a way. The App Store, app developers, third-party apps, that was really what got things moving. That's what turned the iPhone into something more than just a phone. It seems like a long time ago now, but when you go back to the 2007-2009 era, a smartphone back then was initially looked at as just really a device supplementing our PC usage when we weren't in front of a laptop or a desktop. Look at BlackBerry. It was incredibly popular among business users for one reason. They had access to their work email while they weren't at the office, while they weren't sitting in front of a laptop or desktop. That's how we thought about a smartphone, only really just eight, nine years ago. You can see how that's evolved to such a degree. We look at 2012. Facebook acquires Instagram. I actually don't think it was a turning point for Facebook, it was a turning point for the smartphone camera. Right around this time is when you start to see the iPhones role in our life. It was evolving. It wasn't just about getting email or surfing the web in our pocket. The camera started to really gain value. Up to then, we used cameras to capture memories. That was changing. We were now using cameras to communicate. We have social networks based solely on the camera, using pictures as a form of communication. Now, if we look at the 2012 as sort of marking the beginning of the camera renaissance, I love that term, by the way, camera renaissance. Well, I think the video renaissance started a few years later. And one can argue that's what we're currently in right now. Everyone is battling to get live streaming. You go a little bit further and you have this new trend of putting filters on your video. You could start to see what's happening here, where things are headed, and that is augmented reality. I think the iPhones are in our life. It's gonna change once again. This process, this evolutionary process, it's gonna continue. And I think we are on the verge of the augmented reality era. Look at Tim Cook's commentary on augmented reality. It's pretty clear Apple is going to place a very big bet on that technology. 
If you take a look at Apple's M&A history over the past three years, you have a number of key acquisitions in the augmented reality space. I think what's going to happen here is that augmented reality turns the iPhone into a smart pair of eyes. The camera is going to gain an incredible amount of value. It's going to transform almost everything about the iPhone. Up to now, when people talk about augmented reality, in a way, I still think we're missing the point. People talk about interlacing objects with a real-world layer. We have these demos. We have people saying, well, you have to try it. I got this private demo at the office in Silicon Valley, and it's great, but if you don't try it, you don't know what you're talking about. It's very confusing for a lot of people, and it's very understandable why that's happening. When I think of augmented reality, though, I look at a very simple idea. Augmented reality is about extracting data from our surroundings. You then have a device take that data and offer additional value and context. That's what augmented reality is really about. We haven't really seen the potential found with that technology. If you look at the dual camera system with the iPhone 7 Plus, Obviously, I'm not going to go as far as to say that's augmented reality. Instead, that camera extracts more data than any other iPhone camera before. And I think when you look at these upcoming new iPhones and you go out every year from there, well, that trend of being able to extract data from our surroundings, it's going to build. And you're going to have the iPhone turn into an augmented reality Navigator. This is going to impact quite a bit of the iPhone business. Everything from pricing, costs, screen size preference, those are more or less the near-term implications. And then you have longer-term implications. How will the iPhone impact demand for things like iPad, wearables, even upgrade trends? What I want to do is take a few minutes to go through some of these implications. And the primary reason is I think this is going to help look at all these iPhone rumors and kind of make sense of them all. There are themes found in a lot of these rumors that I think at first may seem kind of going against each other, but at the end of the day, I think they all relate and they all come back to where the iPhone business is headed. And I think we're going to see some fundamental changes here. The first implication is found with pricing. I think iPhone pricing is going up. The theory behind this is relatively straightforward. As the iPhone's role in our life has evolved over time, we have been giving the device more value. If you go back to the late 1990s or early 2000s, somewhere in that time frame, phones were just phones. <laughs> and this is pretty crazy to think about, but the biggest thing to figure out was how many voice minutes and text messages do you need each month? I think there was a plan that I got. It was 200 text messages per month. Of course, now you can go through, what, 30 iMessages in five minutes. It just is remarkable, the amount of change in really just 15, 20 years. Anyways, when phones were just phones, we placed a certain amount of value on that device and corresponding service. The iPhone changed things. 
When the iPhone kicked off the era of smartphones turning into computers, we valued a phone differently. We were willing to pay much more for a smartphone and the additional service. So if you go back to, say, 2009, 2010, I think a lot of people were debating, do I need that additional monthly data service? Here in the U.S., it was mostly something like $30, $35 or so. People were actually debating that. <laughs> Nowadays, it's a given. You need it. So we were willing to pay much higher prices because the device provided additional value. Well, I think that's going to change going forward because I think what's going to happen is the smartphone is going to turn into an augmented reality device. So we are going to place even more value with the device. This means iPhone pricing will likely increase. There's a very straightforward reason why we're seeing so many reports and rumors this time around saying that iPhone pricing will exceed $1,000. Usually these reports are referring to one particular iPhone model, the one that will get the most advanced screen and cameras. Well, we're seeing a lot of that because it makes sense. These iPhones are going to cost more to make. I think that's where these rumors are coming from, the supply chain. Usually pricing is that one item that doesn't leak because it's determined pretty close to Apple headquarters. I think this is exactly what's going on with the iPhone. I don't think we have reports, well, a leaked document says Apple's going to price the new iPhone at this. No, I think it's a supply chain kind of putting two and two together. These new iPhones are going to cost more to make, and Apple will very likely pass those additional costs on to consumers. That will mean higher iPhone pricing. The element to take into consideration here is that I think that higher pricing will be supported because the iPhone's role in our life changes. Now, when you look at higher costs for iPhone, this is not a new phenomenon. In 2014, Apple increased iPhone pricing by $100 for that 5.5-inch screen. It happened again last year. Apple raised the price of the iPhone Plus by another $20. Why? The dual camera system. So I think an iPhone model exceeding $1,000 is inevitable just because screen and camera technology costs are increasing. This is where the iPhone 7 Plus enters the discussion. We see how demand for the iPhone Plus is growing year over year, despite the price increasing. I think there is a certain level of inelasticity when it comes to iPhone demand. So I don't think if iPhone pricing goes up, that's going to necessarily destroy demand. I don't think it's going to work like that. It all comes back to how the iPhone's role in our life is changing. It's going to actually support that higher pricing. If we go back to 2000, I said to you, you know what? You were going to pay $1,000 for a phone. You would call me crazy. You would say, I have lost my mind. Because you would look at the phone in your hand and say, there's no way I'm going to pay $1,000 for this device one day. But look at what has changed. A phone has transformed from being just a phone to the most valuable communication device in our life. Now, when that turns into becoming an augmented reality device, a personal navigator in our life, 
it's possible we can look back even at 2007, 2008, and say to ourselves, wow, smartphones only went for $500 back then. The very interesting topic here has to do with how Apple handles the pricing spectrum. So, so far, we've been focused on the high end, that $1,000 iPhone. What happens at the low end? Because if you look at Apple's strategy over time, it's been trying to lower that entry-level price a little bit at a time with each new iPhone version. Do we hit a point where iPhone pricing just doesn't go any lower? Instead, Apple sells a different kind of device, maybe one that you wear on your wrist that's priced even lower than the iPhone. That's something to debate. It's something to think about going forward. I think pricing is an incredibly interesting topic when it comes to Apple. It really comes to any company, but especially for a company that is trying to sell luxury to the masses. Pricing is, is just so interesting of a subject. The next near-term implication from the iPhone's role in our life changing has to do with screen size preference. I think the 4-inch iPhone SE has done really well over the past year. According to my estimates, Apple sold about 30 million iPhone SE units to date. So that was launched in 2016. That's not bad. My long-standing view on the iPhone SE is that there is a certain portion of the iPhone user base that prefers one-handed use with their iPhones. They prefer the flexibility found with a smaller screen. However, if the iPhone's role in our life is changing, I think that preference is going to be challenged. The desire for larger screens in order to consume more photos and videos, I think it's surpassing this desire for one-handed iPhone use. Now, in a perfect world, maybe you can do both. Maybe you can fit a larger screen in an iPhone and still really be able to use it with one hand. That's what's so interesting about where Apple is taking the iPhone. We see pretty much consensus at this point is saying that the iPhone is going to get a larger screen-to-bezel ratio. So that means that when you look at the front of the iPhone, all of the non-screen part, it's going to be reduced. This will have a very big impact in how I can use the iPhone with one hand. So right now I have an iPhone 7 Plus. If I'm holding that in my right hand, well, it's pretty hard to get my thumb really beyond almost the center point of the screen. But if you take a look at that bottom right corner of that phone as it's sitting in my hand, if the screen could be extended down towards the bottom, so you have the home button basically being put right into the screen itself, what that ends up doing is I could use uh, quite a bit more screen just with my thumb. And so what this is going to do is it's going to remove the need for foreign screens. What Apple can do is take the same form factor and just put a bigger screen in it. This is going to make it very interesting for Apple to forecast iPhone demand by screen size. Imagine an iPhone line where you take something like a 5.5-inch screen found with the iPhone 7 Plus, and you put it in the form factor found with an iPhone 7. And then take an iPhone 7 screen and fit it in a form factor like the iPhone SE. What does that do to demand? If someone who has bought an iPhone Plus really wants a 5.5-inch screen, well, what do they do? Do they then kind of go down to a smaller iPhone form factor? Or do they want an even larger screen now? Maybe the iPhone Plus model will soon have a 6-inch screen. I think it's going to take Apple probably a few years to really see how trends are going to develop. 
Now, speaking of going a few years out, I do think there are a number of long-term implications found with this iPhone evolution. The first is iPad demand. As larger iPhone screens become the norm, I do think small iPad screen demand will continue to decline. We have seen this occur for a number of years now. I talked about it in Peak iPad Mini. That was an article I published way back in November 2015, where I said there's just no room for the iPad Mini in Apple's product line. Larger iPhones, they cannibalized smaller iPads. What happens going forward if you're going to have an iPhone that may have a six-inch screen? I think the answer is that the iPhone's going to be a headache for iPad. It's been that way for a few years now, and it's probably going to continue. And it's pretty simple. Larger iPhone screens, they handle many of the core items that were initially given to iPad. Now, what this means for Apple is that you have to rethink the iPad. You have to go high-end. So you go larger screens for iPad. You focus on things that you really can't do with an iPhone, maybe such as writing, drawing, sketching. You're trying to differentiate the iPad from iPhone. That's one reason why maybe Apple Pencil support sticks with the iPad and it doesn't go all the way to the iPhone. But it's going to be difficult. Again, I don't think larger iPhones necessarily kill the iPad, but it does impact a long-term sales trajectory. I think that's pretty clear. The next long-term implication is found with wearables. So this entire episode, we've been talking about how the iPhone's role in our life is evolving. It's becoming more valuable. It's taking in more data, helping us get through our day. What does that mean for wearables? Does that really actually leave a place for something like an Apple Watch, for wireless AirPods, for additional wearable devices? Or will the iPhone just become so critical, so crucial, that we have no room, we have no need for other devices. Well, take a look at what the iPhone's doing. It's getting great at capturing the world around us, and I think that's going to continue once it starts incorporating augmented reality. But I think the iPhone comes up short when it comes to capturing one part of our life, our health, our fitness, biometrics data. So I think health monitoring will represent a key use case for wearables. And again, don't just think of Apple Watch, but include wireless AirPods in that discussion. Include other form factors in that discussion. We've only started to see Apple get into the wearables era. There's going to be other products. I continue to think that as the iPhone's role in our life increases and we give the device more value, it's going to create this need or this opening for a new type of device, wearables. These devices won't necessarily be positioned as an iPhone alternative. Instead, they will be tasked at handling items that the iPhone just doesn't do a great job at handling. The last application is found with upgrade trends. Over the past few years, the iPhone upgrade cycle has been getting longer. You don't have every single iPhone user running out and upgrading their device every year or every two years. This at first was debated. People were pushing back, saying, well, look at this survey. Look at that survey. It's saying the upgrade rate is actually accelerating. No, not really. <laughs> 
I actually think this is what's going on in China right now. I think the upgrade cycle is getting longer, and that's having impact on iPhone sales. We, of course, will see what happens with the new iPhones later this year. However, one thing that I'm starting to think more about is if the iPhone upgrade cycle begins to hit a type of ceiling, preventing that upgrade cycle from approaching that of, say, a PC or a Mac or even something like a tablet. And it all comes back to the iPhone's evolving role in our life. If the iPhone is a more dynamic product than, say, a laptop or even an iPad, does that mean that the amount of change occurring over, say, four or five years, that's going to keep people at least interested in upgrading over that duration? So you don't have people say, well, I'm okay with holding on to my iPhone for six years. Maybe it won't get that long. Instead, the iPhone upgrade rate begins to settle around, say, four years. This is going to have a major role in determining iPhone sales. Because if you have an iPhone user base that's now more than 700 million users, and the average iPhone user upgrades around every four years, we know retention rates are very high, probably 90% or higher. Well, you can start to estimate what annual sales will be for the iPhone business. The wild card here continues to be these annual upgrade plans, such as the iPhone upgrade program. If you get people into this mindset of simply upgrading their iPhone every year, it really does remove a lot of the decision-making found with upgrading. And I do tend to think that will accelerate the upgrade cycle. You then have the added benefit of having those used iPhones re-enter the market, say, as uh, refurbished iPhones or remanufactured iPhones in some cases. And that could represent a way of making the iPhone more accessible to the mass market. So these annual upgrade plans they probably will become more important for Apple. I think the company is going to really start to put more and more effort in it. It's only been around for a little while, the iPhone upgrade program, so we'll see where this goes. There are still issues. I was actually part of the iPhone upgrade program at launch. I stopped using it just because it really wasn't making sense to me. There were still issues, but we'll see what happens. Maybe the added benefit of a larger iPhone upgrade program, in addition to the way the iPhone's role in our life is changing, does begin to actually slow the process of the iPhone upgrade cycle elongating. So that could be a pretty good sign for iPhone sales. That's something to keep in mind, again, over probably the next two, three, four years. This brings us to our concluding idea for today's episode. What is causing this iPhone evolution? What is breeding this evolutionary process? Is it one item? Is it a component? Is it something else? Is it maybe the iPhone's relationship to other products? When you go back over the past 10 years and you look at all of the critics for the iPhone, so these are people who said that the iPhone will not be a successful product or the iPhone will not have significant impact on the world. What all of those critics share in common with each other is that they fail to predict iPhone evolution. So in the very beginning, when the iPhone was just a computer in our pocket, critics would argue that this device would lose to lower-priced computers in our pocket. Instead, what happens? The iPhone evolved. It then became the most valued communication tool in our lives. And now you see some people saying, well, Apple's going to lose, the iPhone's going to lose 
to the most powerful communication services running on the iOS platform. However, I think that fails to include or take into account how the iPhone's role evolves. The iPhone won't just remain a communication tool. Instead, it's going to become a personal navigator. It's going to capture so much more data for us. So when you look at why the iPhone has evolved while larger screens in our life, tablets, PCs, TVs, they've seen much less change. I think it all comes back to the iPhone containing the most valuable camera in our lives. So as the iPhone's role in our life has changed, camera usage has increased. We are giving value to what ends up being the most mobile camera in our life. So by having our iPhone on us throughout the day and to have a camera in that device, I think that's what really breeds this evolutionary process. Of course, it doesn't hurt having so many resources focused on advancing camera technology, both in terms of hardware and software. This leaves us with an intriguing idea when thinking about the camera's importance to iPhone evolution. The iPhone's future may be found by forecasting how we use and value cameras going forward. Look at the camera to decide what will happen to the iPhone. That's going to do it for today's episode. Apple's annual developers conference is quickly approaching. I will be flying out to San Jose to attend the WWDC keynote. So maybe I will see some of you there. I should think about wearing a name tag or something. That, that's the one downside of doing an audio podcast. But regardless, I am looking forward to that. This will be my second WWDC keynote. If you enjoy the analysis found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, I think you would like becoming an Above Avalon member. The cornerstone of Above Avalon membership is access to my exclusive daily email all about Apple. This is a 2,000-word email that I send out Monday through Thursday. We cover everything about Apple, from financial estimates to news, business strategy. This past week, we actually focused on my revised Apple earnings model. So I included all of the new information from Apple's second quarter earnings, and I updated iPhone, Apple Watch, iPad, and Mac estimates. We also went over my new EPS estimates. In addition, we talked about the iPhone install base and the user base. I updated what I think those two metrics are standing, and we also talked about the number of Apple devices out in the wild by actual device. We went over how many iPhones, iPads, Apple TVs, Apple Watches. So all of that analysis and research was sent out to Above Avalon members this past week. As part of Above Avalon membership, you do have access to the archive, so you can go back and access all of the previous daily emails, and there also is a Slack team, so you can communicate with other Above Avalon members. So for more information and to become an Above Avalon member, head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. Membership is either $10 per month or $100 per year. With that, we will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all next week.